like uh, after an earthquake, there's like an aftershock. I thought it was maybe one of those situations. A Halloween you know? aftershock. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it was spooky. I was scared. Like I, for like Are 20 seconds, I was scared. Are you talking about coming into the Zoom and me and JT not being here? Yeah, man. But like your that is kind of there. scary in a 21st century way, like Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Unfriended kinda. three. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. No, I texted you guys. I, I said, I, I feel like I'm in paranormal activity, too. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Liminal <laughs> <laughs> vibes for sure. Dude. Uh, <laughs> Can you just set that up on the days we're not doing the podcast? Like, I kind of like it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> being able to just hop into the Zoom whenever you want to and look at what the studio looks like. I like yeah, just looking into Eddie's apartment at any time of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, on nanny cam. Yeah. <laughs> I need nanny cams for all my friends. <laughs> Honestly, the the low grade photo of like you you know you shooting your laptop screen and everything really does make it look like like <laughs> early two thousands digital J horror. <laughs> you got a good angle. The angle in the room does it too. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. It's a perfect storm coming together. That's, I mean, did you ever see like footage of uh, people like directing over Zoom? Yeah, during, I mean, like, Carpenter, the pandemic? yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. Like, but they're still doing it. It's not even, the pandemic's been over for two years and Carpenter directs for the first time in 15 years. And he's like, <laughs> I heard about those guys who didn't have to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I yeah, mean, it made, makes like, sense. He's making what, a Peacock TV show. He doesn't have yeah. to get up. He doesn't have yeah. to stand to direct that. <laughs> that's true and it's funny that like i feel like there's no hype for it like i think appropriately you know what i mean like yeah no like people shit. like people would be like oh carpenter's coming back but he's like yeah i'm on my couch directing the-. it's like yeah, just i have cool. playing 2k during directing yeah. it <laughs> well i hope you have a good time then that's all i gotta you know <laughs> yeah you could tell like certain scenes he was just genuinely in the middle of a game in 2k and was not paying attention to the direction at all and then some scenes it was like he was doing the off-season maneuvering so you know he could look over at the monitors here and there and like, oh come on guys you can't frame it like that <laughs> just simming seasons yeah no i think that's how carpenter people talk about carpenter oh he loves basketball video games people don't talk about how he plays basketball video games i like to think he's like me where he's just deep simulation mode he's not even getting on the court he's playing for three hours and it's all just alternate reality creation (laughs) the daryl i want to play the daryl mori video game that's the ultimate video game for me where i get to be daryl mori my gm character in madden uh edmund j cockenlocker that's nice that's fucking cockenlocker what is that danish what is that? It's from, uh, it's actually <laughs> Preston Sturges, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards some greater purpose? With bloated ego, we are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clips. I have a feeling that, uh, you know, the that on-call gig that I'm about to get is going to be like four days a month, and I'm still going to be mainly a full-time podcaster. Well, that's, I mean, that's that's good, too, you know? Dedication well, yeah, to the being craft. a full-time podcaster rules as long as you can make rent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I cannot. <laughs> Welcome to Extended Clip. It is episode 247, and I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm O. 
<laughs> I'm JT White. The story of Malcolm O today. Uh, we are talking about Ricky O, the story of Ricky, uh, directed by Lam Nai Choi, starring Louis Fan C. Wong. This is one of the all-time uh, legendary gore slash splatter movies. Uh, this is a, a Category 3 trashter piece, if you will. Uh, category 3, for those who don't know, was like the, the rating in Hong Kong, kind of like an X rating in Hong Kong, but a lot of... Uh, martial arts movies that were more depraved and sicko mode got them because as we've discovered on this podcast there were some truly depraved movies in hong kong in the 90s you could really get away with some crazy shit uh as long as they just threw you in the category three uh ghetto i guess uh but those are the movies that became cult hits in america anyway so it's not like the ghettoization of those like super raunchy films did much uh you know so many of the most huge cult uh splatter and gore type movies you know, were suppressed in their own country and then became huge cult hits overseas. This one, I wouldn't say was suppressed in its own country. It was still a pretty big movie. Uh, But yeah, so I I just think that that's an interesting dynamic where it gets slapped with that category three rating. And then that just feeds into the Americans being like, oh my God, like it's almost Orientalism of like late nineties American video junkies being like, you see this fucked up shit they're doing in China. Like these, these movies are so low grade. They're watching tape rips. The, the special effects look a lot more realistic and it's almost like you're trying to show someone a snuff film or something. Uh, and then now you watch Ricky O has a beautiful, you know, 2k remastered Blu-ray, uh, and the special effects don't look as realistic, but a lot of the gore still looks fucking disgusting. And, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a very fun movie. Malcolm, you chose Ricky O. Why did, why did, uh, you pick him as your fighter? (laughs) Damn. Well, this is, this is getting into like street fighter, you know, video game style questions, but, uh, I wanted to choose this movie just because I felt like, I don't know, like, I feel like we hadn't done anything kind of, like, gory or, like, kind of, uh, you know, kind of shocking. I mean, this movie's not exactly shocking, but it's uh, it's just high gore, high energy, and I, I just think we'd have a lot of fun with it. And I think there's there's enough here to, like, you know, enough meat on the bone where there, there's some fun discussion, too. And I, I think you leading it off, you know, I think you set a good scene for it because it is... You know, it's funny, I was trying to look for this movie, and this is one of those movies, for the longest time, it was on YouTube in full, you know what I mean? But yeah. um, its status has reached so high, despite, you know, back in the day, the Category 3, the parental advisory sticker they tried to give them, uh, you know, it's, I had to, I signed up for, well, this sounds like an ad now, but I, I had to sign up for Criterion Channel to watch this movie, which is kind of like, wow. I don't think a lot of people you know, would have ever expected it from the you know, ghetto to the art house. Exactly. A concrete rose. I, as mm. I like to call it. Um, but you know uh, who else went from the ghetto to the art house? Roman Polanski. That's true. <laughs> Objectively <laughs> true. That is true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they it's can't true. Take, they can't take yeah. that away from him, but it, it's, it's just happy to see, you know what I mean? That like, I don't know, uh, criterion, you know, they, they got people working there that are embracing these types of movies because there, there's obviously like a level of craft here that, you know, you don't see in a lot of other movies just through gore and special effects. And, you know, for that reason alone, it's, you know, it should be, you know, uh, revered in like a great way. And I'm glad to see that it is. 
JT, you had uh, any exposure to this before you checked it out the other day? uh, Other than just like general reputation being like, okay, this is definitely one of those types of movies that's just like fun, exploitative that I wanted to check out. And especially, again, something coming from like Hong Kong. It's just like most of, I, I feel like it's a pretty solid like hit rate. So you go in expecting... Uh, something pretty damn cool and with this I know obviously it was it the sort of uh, log line and everything sets it up as in a prison but I wasn't sure I felt like we might might venture out but I do love uh, that it's like all set there and I feel like watching the film I was just like wow I think I like the prison movie genre yeah that's a fun thing to explore we should do more have we done any other prison? Did, uh, I mean, female prison, female prisoner, Scorpion Seven Hundred One, yeah, Alcatraz, Escape from Alcatraz, Ilsa, uh, prison movie as well. Yeah, Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS was a uh, certain type of prison movie. Yeah, but the I don't know the prison. The the movies sure do make prison seem damn fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I think a lot of what makes this movie fun and like memorable is like. Using, you know, the classic, you know, the the prison has factions and there's all these different groups and all these different people. You have a fucked up evil warden. Yeah. Like all the, the tropes of the genre are there and just like, I don't know, up to like the, it's not the warden is the skinny guy that like towards the end inflates. Yeah. But the, they have the, the, his temporary like guy in charge. Yeah. The fake eye. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have the one-eyed snake, which is very funny because that's just like a phallic reference, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but the one-eyed snake is in charge while the warden is out of town with his fat son. And so the one-eyed <laughs> snake, like, he has a glass eye that he grinds up spices in and eats, I think. Or maybe he's eating glass dust, which is a maybe thing opium. that you see throughout the movie. Oh, it could uh, definitely be opium, but he's eating it. Do people eat opium? Uh, I don't know. I, I think you could. I don't know. Next uh, yeah. week we'll get some opium on the show, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, well, it'll be for a video podcast, yeah. video episode. Yeah, uh, I think I have a pipe that would probably work for it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, regardless, so so he's like the boss throughout, and then it's almost like the mar- the martial arts movie trope. Like you have the boss and the big boss. Yeah, yeah. So you have mm-hmm. your boss throughout the movie is one eyed snake, but then with twenty minutes left, it's like, hey, guess who's coming back into town? the warden the actual warden and so yeah as you said he's a skinny bald uh, balding guy a sides god if you will and he has his fat son who tortures all of the staff members <laughs> uh but yeah i i really love this movie from the get-go like the uh the vibe of it and everything i, I there are certain spots where it kind of loses me and the it can get a little repetitive like a lot of it, it's kind of like the downfall of the prison genre is how many places can you actually go yeah how mm-hmm. much can you commit to the oppressive set design and how much do you want to be in that for an hour and a half to two and a half hours depending on the movie um i i think this one is very good though it's just not mm-hmm. like on the level of uh you know 
I think that female prisoner scorpion, like that set is so insane and out there and just a place that I want to like live in voyeuristically for an hour. Yeah. And no, this one I, has this weird, like primary color antiseptic sheen that was very jarring at first. And especially with those kind of carpenter esque synths that are playing over the opening titles. And it's very cool. It's just not like as, crazy and out there as a lot of prison sets can be uh in the genre but i do think it's quite cool but anyway so that's how we start the movie is uh you you got all these prisoners being transported on the bus over those cool synth music uh pieces and you get some cool text on screen showing them come in uh and (laughs) one of the guys we get in there is lamb suet and uh with a nice ponytail that was pretty awesome yeah it is funny like the there is like a prologue being like it's the year like 2001 and like the economy is such that crime oh, is yeah. so all high. capitalist economies have like made private prison or just yeah, like yeah. they're all private prisons which now. is awesome that in china yeah. in the 90s they were just like what's a dystopian version of prison <laughs> oh they're privately owned yeah. Like, oh, uh, yeah you guys could just look over here check us out yeah. no exactly well, that's, I, that's, think I think we're doing it just fine <laughs> that, well that's what kind of makes it so interesting to me because it's like like in America, like you could just—it's like, oh yeah, it's a prison move. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it basically, the private prison hook means nothing in America. Yeah, like it's like you just described a prison movie, but like it, it's kind of in retrospect, kind of funny to realize it's like, oh yeah, I guess that's maybe not common everywhere. You know? Yeah. No, I mean this movie is very obviously about like uh, when you get past it being about its own gore and sleaze, it's about the evil and oppression of private prisons and also how no one can hurt you if you're buff enough. Uh, and if you <laughs> learn the right type <laughs> of, uh, you know, martial arts that involve both inner peace and being super buff. Uh, I think this and running on karma, the Johnny toe are both similar in that where it's like the combo of being shredded and also achieving inner peace help you uh, make pain not exist. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I love, an action movie like this where it's just like the guy is like unbeatable just you know from the beginning like and it is i feel like something that's always going to be kind of difficult to balance because it's just like okay what's the heavy are they get like how do you match someone who you've seen like from the beginning been like oh yeah there are four bullets in my chest still i just kept them for like a souvenir and just uh but they they beat his ass up pretty good Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm He does get tamed, you know what I mean? And I I love, uh, you know, the fighting style in this movie. You know, obviously, I think the kills and the violence is what makes this movie unique. And, you know, uh, um, and these are, you know, kind of like the main events in the movie. And kind of, uh, I don't know, like the fact that like his fists like punch through human flesh as if they were like like clay pots or something like that is, uh, (laughs) is very entertaining. And unique and I feel like constantly throughout the movie um, you know it's 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 very detail orientated you know even I guess even outside the fights it's like to give such a bland uh, environment uh, like a prison you know a little bit of spice you know you really the stuff that your characters do is gonna be more uh, important obviously you know even in their small movements and kind of like uh, I, I just think of random small things like I feel like like when the gang of four is like walking in tandem with each other or like when they like uh, turn around, they like all turn around at once. It's kind of like fun, goofy details like that that take something that could be 
you know, just standard action fare and just really give it a sense of personality and drives it like over the top into a very fun place. Yeah. And while I would definitely agree with Eddie that the set design isn't as expressive and enjoyable as like some of the other like fun uh, prison exploitation movies. I do like the moments where they sort of take like the set in interesting ways, like the big when they burn the big poppy field and that's happening in the background Mm -hmm. of the fight. And towards the end, um, when uh, Ricky is like fighting one of the last of the four and the bars are like bent around his arms to yeah, trap him. And, really and they, they have that jail cell that has like the collapsible <laughs> ceiling. It's just like, it's so fucking sick. Well, yeah, when they turn certain sets into like saw traps, I love that, you know, the meat grinder and the ceiling that falls down and everything. Uh, like I, I, I think maybe I undersold uh, the production design of no, this movie I mean, because I think that like the w- w- for what it attempts to do, it is really good. It's just after a while, it's like all right, we've been here for ninety minutes. Kind yeah, of exactly. Um, I'm just maybe I'm trying to find what it is that's holding this movie back for me because I I can't really find anything that I think is bad. I just find things that I think are good, not great about yeah. it. You know. And so it's just like, yeah, there, there's nothing to really complain about. It never just, it, it only gets over that hump into being a super like great movie for five, 10 minutes at a time though, for me. Otherwise it's just like an enjoyable action movie. You yeah. Know? No, I, I mean, I, I, I think I pretty much agree with the sentiment. It's kind of like, you know, I think I say this a lot talking about action, but, you know, but it is like, it does kind of go from set piece to set piece, you know, yeah. how the movie operates and the things in between, like sometimes there's fun stuff, but sometimes it's just to get you where you need to go. And it's done, like you said, it's it, like, it'll be done in a way that's like not bad, but it's like, you know, especially when there are like these super interesting, gory parts, you know what I mean? You, there is a little bit of you that I feel like maybe not like waiting for the next one, but it's like. After you see some some two guys fight and like the losing guy like takes out his small intestines and uh, fucking yeah. uses it for jump rope, I, that doesn't happen in the movie. But he does pull out his small intestines. Um, it is like the next five minutes, just setting up the next fight. It's just not going to be as uh, you know fun and entertaining as the fight's going to be. And I, hey. I guess I, I can't fault the movie too much for that because the fights are great enough to where that doesn't matter as much but it's like yeah those those minutes are there i yeah i would say i probably like the movie a little bit more than uh the both of you but again it's just yeah probably probably a half star half bullet difference well Uh, i think what it is is like a highlight reel movie where you cut together the best 45 minutes and it's basically five stars absolutely yeah and so maybe it's like it depends on the setting maybe if you're watching it with a crowd that's rowdy in a fun way that kind of stuff gets you through the lulls a little more because the highs are that much higher or if you're just like doing laundry or something and you know uh when to look at the screen and when you can fold clothes i guess i hear people talk about doing laundry while they watch movies i have never done such a thing but i i've i've heard uh pray tell i've heard pray tell of such behavior uh to me it's like you know you're wearing are you watching movies naked is that how desperate you are that you need to do both at the same time Howard Hughes in the aviator Howard Hughes in the aviator sure he can't pull himself away from the screen maybe he needs to pee in a jar and get laundry done while he's watching his spruce goose footage (laughs) 
I remember when I was like younger, like sixteen or seventeen, like when I, like I heard people said like do laundry. I'm like, what do you like? You put it in the washing machine? Like you're not really <laughs> doing much, but it's like obviously they're talking about the folding of clothes afterwards, but. Which is doesn't like, take that long. It doesn't right? take that like, long. I don't. Maybe. Oh, it's a good movie to fold laundry to. How long are you? How much laundry do you have? I was yeah. gonna say, maybe, maybe. Are you doing the whole TJ Maxx laundry? Unfortunately, me and Eddie only have six outfits to our name, so maybe that's why we know we're, we can't relate to the laundry yeah. stories as much. It's but. like the inverse of a cartoon, you know, like where Bart Simpson or Doug would open their closet, and you have like a hundred of the same co- same outfit. Me and Malcolm, you just open a closet, and it's like five shirts, and you've seen us wear all of them. <laughs> People who know us in real, they're going to really enjoy that part. Like that's 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 going to be the highlight. Of I think episode. people who even watch the breakout <laughs> yeah, clips exactly. on Twitter yeah. Uh, yeah, or watch the video podcasts have basically realized, oh, Ed, Eddie has four shirts. Well, maybe it's just they just assume that's a lucky podcasting shirt. It's yeah. just like, oh, these are the, these are the podcasting uniforms. Or we're recording it all at once, but JT is so vain that every time we do a new episode, he has to go change before we. <laughs> start and me and Malcolm are just like all right dude we could just stay in these clothes we're just <laughs> we're recording the years worth of episodes right now you know if we're gonna sweat it out we'll do that. we should actually do that that would be fun for everyone's mental health and it would be very fun to edit I'm sure uh, so anyway we get a scene early on where a guy who's up for parole gets his parole denied because he pissed off the uh, one of the gang of four who are kind of like the like the, there's by compass coordinates is that how you would say it there's like the, yeah. each wing of the prison has a, a gang boss kind of and so he pisses one of them off and they get word up to the higher people and he doesn't get his parole and then he gets fucking killed and there's a really dramatic scene of Lick Wong or Ricky in the rain uh, you know getting really pissed off about it and that's when you realize oh this isn't some you know morally ambiguous dark movie this guy we're we're on his side this is a a moralist hero who is like here to do the right thing he's going to take pain and rip people's flesh off in the name of doing the right thing because this guy just made a toy for his son and then got killed before he could see his son again. Well, he's also like, you just met that guy in prison. You're really going to go on all this rampage just because this one dude. True. Well, Eddie, let me, let me, as someone who's like Ricky, I'll explain it from Ricky's perspective. Um, it, it is, well, first of all, the guy, he didn't get killed. He killed himself, right? Because he got, mm. did I misremember that? Or No, he, no, he, he hangs himself. No, you're right, you're right, sorry. He kills himself because his parole's denied and his, like, face got bashed in and shit. And like I, I just remembered the image of his face being dismembered. Oh, yeah. is that where he, like, shoves that, like, cutting tool that, like, like, chop, like, like slices his face. Yeah, I'm pretty that sure. That was repulsive. Yeah, that was yeah, that's what, like one of the first pieces of real gore in the movie because that's like within ten minutes or so. Yeah. 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 And it's I, I like I like that first ten minutes because we kind of just um we're kind of meeting the characters, but there's kind of a, a a a focus on this downtrodden father, you know what I mean, who doesn't get uh you know a parole even though you know I think I think this is great. Like it sets it's all the table setting we need. It's like this is a guy who he lived a good life. Like, like I think in the movie, like they make a point to be like, yeah, like he just accidentally got in a car wreck and like ran someone over. Like that's why he's here. He's he's what's you know a society member 
should be, you know, uh, uh, you know, you could say like he's a working man, you know, had a family, like he was good, and like it doesn't matter, like uh, these ruthless prisoners, man, that they'll they'll beat anyone up. So it it is kind of uh, I don't know, like I do I do kind of like the the Job style. I like a Job style character, like a guy who does everything right and then he's still punished for it. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. so I, I I was with Ricky where I was like. That kind of shit. This is, is fucked up. I is, hate this. This is fucked up, dude. Society's leading us to this place. I gotta fucking tear people's guts out with the. Uh, and that's yeah. I I do like I it plays into because you get slowly doled out throughout the whole film. You get Ricky's uh, backstory because it's just like this man can't be just some sort of ruthless criminal. He he clearly has such a strong moral compass and purpose. And even though it does like. I don't know. I feel like the flashbacks to his like uh, sister, uh, like what happens to her does. I mean, say for like, I feel like the really explosive climax of that. Those are beats that I feel like are a little bit more perfunctory to me because it's just like, oh, okay. Like, obviously, we're going to see that he's like not just uh, he's not just some street thug. He has a reason uh, to be in jail. But again, I like that. I don't know that moralizing element of it is very fun. And especially like, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's baked it again, baked into a prison movie. Yeah. And then the flashbacks with, uh, is it his uncle or uh, who's the one who teaches him the, con- uh, Kongi, uh, you know, the, the yeah, martial yeah. arts that he uses to never feel pain. Uh, so that, that scene is good and it's kind of like a, you know, classic martial arts training scene kind of, uh, it is his uncle. Yeah. And I don't know that that's maybe where it doesn't feel as strong as, you know, a lot of the, the classic Hong Kong action stuff. Like we're not watching Lao Kar Lung stuff here, uh, but the, the fight scenes, even if they're not choreographed in such a balletic way, it's like the, the pure brutality of it is like, it's like uh, if Lucio Fulci made a Hong Kong action movie, it would look like this kind of where it's so much more focused on the, the wetness and the textural uh, grossness of all the gore than the actual like uh, staging of the fighting, I guess. And that, you see that early on when you get that huge fat guy who says, someone offered me 30 kilograms of rice to finish you off, <laughs> uh, which is one of the best, like, that's up there with, I used to fuck guys like you in prison uh, from Roadhouse uh, as like some of the best like fighting words in movies. <laughs> well, you talk about, um, I think that's an interesting comparison, comparison uh, comparing this director to Fulci because I, I hadn't seen... I've only seen one other uh, Lamb Choi movie, and it was The Seventh Curse. And kind of looking mm. at, um, and which is like a horror kind of action hybrid uh, movie uh, that you know is really good, and you know starring Chow Yun Fat, or I think he's in it. I, I'm looking at the poster right now, and I can't remember if he's the lead in it or he they he's in it briefly, and they just have him on the poster. So that's that's my forgetfulness. Classic right move. Now. Um, but. Looking at his uh, filmography, it seems like he did a lot of horror movies. So that you know what I mean. Maybe I'm 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 going off of knowledge that maybe I don't have. But it's like maybe he you know coming into action, this guy was doing a ton of like horror um, gore sequences, and he's like maybe I could bring that to action, and it gives it like a you know a special flair because even in the more violent Hong Kong action movies, they're not as like gore. They're not reveling in the gore that yeah. you know, yeah. the way this movie does. 
and even if not like uh, straight up horror, like I was looking when I watched this with, with Nico, we were doing just going through his filmography and checking out see what we could find. And there's a description for one called The Cat. That is a cat from outer space teams up with a young girl and an old man to fight a murderous alien that possesses people. And it's just like, I'm sold on that alone. <laughs> yeah, and that just, sounds sick. <laughs> again, like knowing the the practical effects like prowess going into that, like, yeah, I don't know. You can only imagine. No, I was just going to I just remembered because we were talking about the flashback scene. The one flashback scene that I like and I feel like... Um, is when he's, tra- I do like when he's training with his uncle in the graveyard and like, I think at first, like they're just practicing moves and then like, um, like the uncle just starts picking up graves and they start just clobbering like graves, like in the gravesite. Like it, it, I don't know. Like, I think that exemplifies. Feels very disrespectful. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's funny. I, I, maybe that see, I really might be Ricky O, but, um, I remember when I was 12 <laughs> on my edgelord, edgelord tricks, I, I remember, like, to my older cousins, like, we were, like, at church, and there's, like, a graveyard near the church, and as for a little gag, I did dance on some graves at, at, a, at a young <laughs> age. I did some dancing on what, some what graves. What kind of dancing were you just doing? Were you, like, like hitting a little eight-year-old Malcolm doing a jig on a yeah, grave? Yeah, I, I think it was, were like... you hitting a doggy? I think I was going for, like, uh, like Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny-style dancing, like, the way <laughs> he would dance, like, kind of, like, mockishly, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, or, like, kind of, like, what was the... The singing toad, Michigan J Frog, yeah, yeah. Michigan J Frog. Um, that's, I think that's who yeah. you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so yeah, I doing all these great riffs, and then I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a director like Whit Stillman on the podcast with Malcolm, and he's just gonna be ribbit, ribbit, <laughs> no riffs at all. <laughs> that's that's what happened during the Whit Stillman episode. I was actually in the room, but I was just so tongue tied. That I just couldn't say anything, so I just well, said, your tongue wasn't tied at all. You were picking off flies in the room, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. I had to do wow. a lot of editing because I shaped that interview around introducing Malcolm to Wit Stillman. You know, as just like here he is, it's Malcolm. True, he was probably showing up there. He's like, yo, where's that bitch face palace guy? You know, and I thought that was. This was, this was <laughs> that's the guy I was talking to. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, we, we get that great fight early on from the guy who wants to, you know, finish him off for some rice, uh, where Lick Wong or Ricky rips his stomach out, which is pretty awesome. Uh, then that's when we, after the, uh, uh, graveyard flashback training sequence, we are properly introduced to the kind of assistant warden guy who's in charge for most of the movie by his hook hand, uh, piercing into a stake and using that to cut a stake that is way too bloody for human consumption. And I don't know if you want just like an over the top, uh, you know, introduction for a bad guy warden. That's perfect. You know, it's just fucking his hand is cutting raw meat. Ooh, there's one detail I love about the assistant warden's office. There is like all pornography VHS tapes like right behind him. (laughs) Because we see that a lot throughout the movie too. It's so good. I also love with the the vice warden, the, you know, he's a bigger guy. He's eating a lot. And like, I love that same scene where he's cutting the steak. I think they like, cut to a wider shot and like his like his desk is just filled with like a full picnic like it's just like basket of bread basket of fruit you know some meat some like 
Just so like, like a, a combination cop- of like dim sum and like cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> the dude just has everything they could find. <laughs> uh, it is like I feel like the movie excels with like kind of like small over the top comedic details like that. Like they sneak. Oh, for sure. In a the lot Warden more. Son is a, a good oh, one too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the that's a that's almost like a lost trope, kind of like the. The, spoiled the fat, fat son, little boy spoiled fat son you know what I mean? like it's, it's such a it's such a funny like you might as well be licking a lollipop you know <laughs> yeah or like the propeller hat like that's yeah it does look like he's wearing like a very boy scoutish uh wardrobe there um mm-hmm. and he yeah. has like buttons on his shirt i think that's why it very much uh, feels boy scoutish it's like he has his his honor badges or whatever <laughs> on his vest <laughs> but he's no boy scout i tell you what yeah and we'll I, get to that that's later okay, on okay. in the film uh because we are still i mean not that we usually go plot point by plot point but that is like much later in the film that you meet the warden finally which i guess it is kind of smart plotting because this film doesn't have that many plot points to hit anyway so you might as well save the warden for the very end because then the momentum can crank up so much as you get the warden and you see the wrath of his powers and then you see him transform into a giant and it's a good escalation of beats there yeah. but the middle is probably where it kind of it just loses me in between the gore scenes but then so many of the great gore scenes are in the middle like when they fill his mouth with razor blades oh uh, my they god basically, that's uh, horrifying it's what the joker says uh, how he got his scars <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, because they put the like razor blades in his mouth, and then like put the tape on it, mm-hmm. smack him around, and he spits them back at him. Oh, it's so <laughs> fucking cool! <laughs> it gives me the heebie-jeebies. That remember when I was talking about like watching uh, like prison brutality videos on on the podcast or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, that I was don't troubling. Know yeah, well, it just obviously like the movie reminded me of that, you know, of of those, but obviously. This movie is way more fun and creative with the gore. Than, I don't even know why real I life it up, prisoners but. are. They should. <laughs> <laughs> we're take, we're going into prisons and showing them like some Hong Kong category three movies so they can get creative. People like are prison on fire. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just rolling up like, look, guys. People talk a lot about prison reform, but I don't see any action. I'm going into the private prisons of Philadelphia with DVD rips of Prison on Fire (laughs) and the story of Ricky O and female prisoner 701 Scorpion. All right. That's true. I don't know what you're doing. You know, that might like help. You know, that could solve some things. I don't know what morale screening prison movies in prison. Like, I don't know. That might that might work. I remember Tarantino being like weirdly giddy about uh the 16 millimeter print of reservoir dogs that would play in prisons like uh him being like a nerd that he is he was like oh, it's the, it's the Just, special cut uh that they play the 16 millimeter you know uh crop to four three uh yeah four three he doesn't talk like that but you know uh he was like getting he was getting very nerdy talking about like the special uh 16 millimeter print that they would show at prisons and how cool he thought it was and it's like 
I wouldn't really feel that that's that cool. No, it's just, yeah, it's uh, the idea of like tough guys watching. It's such a, yeah. it is a child's conception of just like, <laughs> they're, they're tough guys in prison watching my movie and they're fucking yeah. loving it. Or it's, and, it's, and it's not like Johnny Cash. It's just a like bunch of financial to... criminals and pedophiles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. White collar prison. Yeah. yeah. No, that's why it, they call it white collar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. uh. Yeah. What were you gonna say about Johnny I, Cash? Oh yeah, I, I forgot. But that you, Johnny Cash, like performing live, like it's still like not as cool as like they make it. But at least like he's there, like interacting. Like it makes yeah, yeah. getting people yeah, yeah. hoot and holler with yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Like Tarantino's just like yeah, there's a he bunch should of do an intro guys. in a prison. He he can come with us. So like <laughs> yeah, next time around we're going showing Hong Kong movies. True. Yeah, maybe we could. Uh, we, and we, but like they hate us because we do like lengthy intro like nerdy intros <laughs> like they do in real life when you go see yeah. a movie you're like i just want to watch the fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> now did you guys hear about johnny cash in the news yesterday no i don't no. think so now we may think a lot of people remember johnny cash for his great country ballads uh great out you know kind of outlawish country songs uh, and you know the the prison concerts and late in life his covers of popular songs outside of the country genre. Do you you guys are aware of this? Right? Yes, I'm like familiar. Yeah, Nine yeah. Inch Nails and uh, the Metallica, and uh, I think the Metallicas were on there. Yeah, but just yesterday it was unearthed through the power of artificial intelligence. Uh, artificial intelligence lets Johnny Cash cover Taylor Swift's Blank Space from beyond the grave wow. now if you guys would like to hear blank space johnny's version i just think that like it's such like a really important moment so in music history that we're getting you know we're two of the greatest uh singers of all time over. artists if collaborating of ex-lovers they'll tell you i'm insane because you know i love the players and you love he does the have a nice voice yeah, it does, yeah. we'll take this way too far wow. i i think johnny cash has really come a long way from his cynical you know uh and depressive past to really embracing uh the fun of music from beyond the grave yeah, we need more pop that is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cash, Cash like that. Yeah, from... Malcolm giving it the same treatment as uh, finally hearing Blank Check. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's. I mean, it's like Cash, you know, it's like he's uh, he's still here, you know? Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> like if he was still, still alive? Here. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I bet he would, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like that giant spatula slash spiked axe that gets used in one uh, fight scene. Like, that's a very strange weapon that probably, yeah, is one of those things that looks better if you're watching it in, you know, 1999 on a VHS rip rather than the new Blu-ray uh, where everything is very crisp and the props look a little more plastic and the effects, you know, you could see through them a little more. Um, and that, that, I think, is like the allure of the cult movie is like, 
sometimes the the degraded quality adds to what I already said the the almost snuff film quality, uh, which doesn't always have to be there for a cult movie, but uh, just that quality of like something secret and lost and underground almost helps with a movie like this. I think, and I, I'm not saying I have buyer's remorse for the 88 films <laughs> Blu-ray of this movie or anything, uh, but like. I, I do feel like, uh, such as many 90s Hong Kong action classics, it almost lives in my brain or should live in my brain as a uh, standard def- definition DVD with the burnt-in uh, English and Cantonese subtitles, you know? <laughs> I get that. I feel like I've I've lost that. Like, I haven't watched, like, a bad rip of a movie in a while to where I think I, I tried watching, like, a movie in SD and, like... I, th- I really couldn't do it. I felt I felt like a. Um, I'm gonna call you on this. Yeah, I'm a snob. You call, I'm me call on? you on this. Maybe Is, a year and a half ago. Well, maybe it was a year and a half oh, ago okay. that you were over at my place with David and we watched an old fucking 600 megabyte, you know, bootleg DVD rip of uh, Sam O. Hung's Pedicab Driver. True. Well, you know, it has to it has to be quality a year and a half like is that. a long time. A year and a half too. is a long time. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it is <laughs> like I, I the movie I was describing was like some like movie from the seven like an American movie from the seventies. Yeah. So it is like I think context is everything there. I think Hong Kong movies from the eighties and nineties like there is a certain aesthetic of those movies on DVD with the burned in subs and everything that exists in its own world, kind of. No, absolutely. I just realized, kind of by saying, I'm like, damn, I just strengthened Eddie's point. Like I was, you know, in a in a in a way that I didn't even intend to mean to. But it, it like, well, yeah. it's because you are not as great of a debater as I, sir. True. I'm more. I'm more like you know. It's uh, more like Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky he solves True. debates with his fists. True. I'm no more discussion. I'm just threatening people now. You know. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to my friends, William F. Buckley and <laughs> Gore Vidal. Wow. <laughs> For the intellectual uh, Yeah. 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 I, I was doing the, the thing where you introduce your fists uh, <laughs> and referencing a classic debate. For the listeners, uh, you know, who can't see it, you know, we all have our fists up Irish style. Yeah, like, exactly. We're, we're old time boxing. Sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. Like the guy who's boxing the kangaroo. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the last time someone took that boxing pose is when that guy fought the kangaroo. Yeah, exactly. And the kangaroo kicked his ass so bad that people were like, we got to figure out a new way to box. No more fighting Irish. <laughs> uh, so... Ricky like gets the prisoners on his side throughout the movie and basically leads a revolt, but the gang of four stands strong and that's where you get that insane head crushing kill uh, where it looks like a head was made from a plastic mold and a very strong man crushed it. Uh, and the, the crushed head kind of reminds me of... Um, What's his name in Twin Peaks The Return when Matthew Lillard's head gets blown off and there's that weird effect uh, like that like head exploding is kind of the same thing. And yeah, so effects like that are just awesome. And I feel like there's so much variety in the types of yeah textures of effects like that one it feels like the it's a very hard skull getting crushed whereas other ones it feels like the body's turned to mush and uh yeah there's a lot of dynamism there in the uh the forms of brutality i guess so as it wraps up there uh you know as we talked about the the warden comes home 
to the prison. He comes home uh, <laughs> to, to set things straight. And the, the sadistic warden just like sees how far torture can go and really goes like freak show mode on him. It's like he's bringing him into a basement under a carnival the way he's uh, busting out all these like medieval torture style devices on him uh, up until it gets to the point where the warden morphs into a giant and uh, Riccio still prevails and throws him in the meat grinder and yeah. then punches through the prison wall like fucking, you know, burst through it like the Kool-Aid man to free everybody. And it's kind of a really beautiful, glorious ending, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. I was like going into it, like knowing that the warden is obviously going to be the, the biggest like bad guy. It's just like. What, like what, how is this he could kick the warden's ass like that like he looks the warden's built like me I, I'm like uh, that's like ta- R- Ricky O is gonna take him like to a cheese grater um, but the decision to just like then go like insanely over the top making him a mutant beast person is is so <laughs> sick yeah no I think I like that's like a tendency of this movie like throughout that I enjoy like the escalation of things whether mm-hmm. it'll be within a scene or just like throughout the movie like you're describing jt because like i think once you establish at the beginning like the way they fight and the way the gore is it's like you got a lot of leeway like you're still within the realm of like realism kind of but it's like the way you play with that you know with um your kills and just what goes on and um i i think the movie like makes good choices on you know choosing when to do that and uh no yeah the the ending with the meat grinder and just going over the top i forgot exact. i think this is towards the end but i love when uh, someone uses like an elephant gun like a like, is that what it's called like when the gun the like, harpoon gun the thing? harpoon yeah. gun where like it's like shoots you and then it explodes inside you or something like that yeah. um <laughs> something weird like that it's, yeah it's just like all, all the fun stuff like that um yeah no just great great uh tendencies bullet rating uh four bullets four bullets for ricky o the story of ricky what about you jt yeah i'm going four bullets still lodged inside ricky o's <laughs> chest that's what i should have said <laughs> uh i will go with three and a half uh cranks or revolutions on the meat grinder uh with my bottom half inside of it. Uh, but yeah three and a half on this one i think that like it stops just short of being great, but it's really, you know, t- give or take. It's like we talked about society a couple of weeks ago, and I felt similarly about that, where the highs and the grossest points were so gross and so high. Uh, but it's w- what's the difference between this and society? Not too much for me. Like, it's they're right there. So make that what you will. Uh, three and a half, and we will be right back on extended clip. Someone gave me 30 pounds of rice to finish you off and turn you into mincemeat and put you in a pie. (laughs) Think you can do it? How was your uh, Halloween party, JT? Or was it your was it your party? Yeah, 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 yeah. It turned out well. I, um... Yeah, I, a lot of folks came. We had lied to everyone. We had initially, Nico and I were going to be 
uh, Dumb and Dumber and get the tuxedos. Yeah. And then we went to the costume store. Uh, and this, we had told people at that point, we we're like, oh, we're going to be Dumb and Dumber. Um, and they didn't have them. Like, we looked at it like two costume stores. And it's just like, well, I'm shit out of luck. It's too <laughs> late to order this from Amazon. Yeah. Uh, and we found like uh, Navi costumes there. <laughs> uh, and we we're like, this is so much better. And then just to keep telling people that it's like, oh, we're going to be dumb and dumber. Yeah. And uh, yeah, being the Navi, shaking my little tail all uh, night long. Uh, it was fun. And then when everyone left at like 2.30, we were still awake and just cleaned the apartment already then <laughs> uh, and stayed up till like 4.30 just rewatching Eastbound and Down. Um, great night. Great night. Damn, dude. That's a... I love the the bro bonding after party like that that's fucking, it's, I, I mean yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I, it's like i can't fall asleep but it's like yeah. gotta do gotta do something else gotta yeah. um and uh we just wanted to just replay the um it was the episode with uh ashley ashley schaefer plantation oh yeah just like that is all timer that is that is kind of that like the number one episode kind of i think I don't know. It's it's hard. It's, it's hard with that show, but it's like it's hard to say. But it's yeah. certainly it's the most ridiculous the show ever gets. Yeah, and I love that element of it. I like there are things I feel like that I completely forgot about when Will Ferrell's like boy like come <laughs> like attack. He hits Kenny Powers with like a like. It looks like a fencing sword, yeah. and he's like, "Ah, I see you sense the telepathic message I sent you silently." <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know what it feels like? No, like them in Last House on Dead End Street. Like in the middle of the movie, there's like some flashback to like some house party that was like seventies house party, but like like the wife was in blackface, and they were all just like oh, whipping yeah, her yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah, no, it, that yeah, it has I that type that. of vibe. Like just like the most evil, just so many weird aspects. Just like so many weird evil details about like <laughs> Will Ferrell's like mammy, like yeah, being mammy. in black, or just like the black mammy. Like he's like. Uh, He's saying, oh, this Fanta, has, I'm full of Fanta tonight. And he, like, they have the two liter bottle on the table, but he's drinking it out of a wine glass. Just like, it's the, so much of that is like the most horrible, like, just, uh, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, did you do anything for Halloween? Yeah, no, I went, I went to a party too on Saturday. I the, the night of like Tuesday, I didn't really do much, but, um, yeah, um, Tuesday yeah fucking i'm a weekend warrior um mm -hmm. but yeah saturday i went to a party and like i thought it was like i was a little bit tentative going in because it was like it like it had like a, a plot to it like it like it was a like a, it wasn't it wasn't just a it was like a, was it like a murder mystery thing or yeah yeah it was and to be honest i had i had it wasn't that long you know what i mean like it was just like kind of started it out and then it's just like a regular party there on out mm. but it, it was um I, I don't know. I just assume the worst, you know what I mean? And it was exactly. It's yeah. not, I don't like coming into a party with like an assignment, like totally. something I have to do. Totally. But I, I figured like, I was like, you know, you have as much fun with something as you're willing. You know what I mean? Like I got to buy in, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. As what much as I can. What was the plot? It was like, um, uh, some cowboy, like, a. Uh, it was cowboy themed, Western themed. And it was like just a murder after like a poker game. And there's like, roles or whatever and like my friend who's hosting it knew that i wouldn't be so into it so he kind of just gave me a very small thing and i could kind of just fuck around and subvert Great. it you know what i mean um 
but no it was it was a good time and um did you have a costume yeah well you know it's funny i you know um oh i think i saw i I because i i snapped the photo yeah i occasionally i check twitter now like it's my news updates and i just go Mm -hmm. uh ipod video bitch face palace just like (laughs) oh yes of course interesting interesting well it, it was funny um like i was like I was going to go very low effort on the costume, of course. Like, I'll just buy a cowboy mm. hat. And I was like, you know what? I don't really have, like, a cowboyish shirt. Like, I'll find, I'll look for one for cheap. And, like, I need clothes anyways. You know what I mean? And, like, <laughs> yeah. like Halloween uh, is a great excuse to just buy new clothes well, for yourself. Literally, literally like, I, I, I wasn't even thinking like that. But then when I got the shirt, I'm like, fuck, this is, like, a nice fucking shirt. Like, I, so I, I kind of, like, I kind of just came up on, like, a... Like, I think it's like a hunter shirt. Like, I think it's like for hunters or whatever. It's like this thick kind of I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, kind yeah. of uh, fabric. And I'm like, okay, this is like this is perfect for the winter. Like, I, I don't have to wear a hoodie if it's just kind of shit. Like, I was like, this might be like a top five piece of clothing that I own. And I got it <laughs> off, of wow. a, auto, off of like a Halloween costume um, buy. So maybe that should be my mentality going yeah, forward. Big come up. With buying clothes, being like, yeah, this every, would be- every year you'll get a new piece of clothing for a Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> There's some psychology to unpack there. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> either way, I got a great new shirt. Everyone loves it. So many compliments. <laughs> Everyone's loving Malcolm's new shirt. I love it. Uh, it's Malcolm in the middle. And I guess that's how life is for Malcolm is he is just... <laughs> the talk of the town he is riding around santa clarita in his new cowboy shirt and people are looking at him different they're giving him more respect they're treating him like a man who's been here before and i think that's what the cowboy shirt is all about it says that you've been here before it is i'm just adapting to santa clarita culture i'm just becoming a guy from santa clarita so i also like did not miss los angeles in the slightest but then you said that you don't even have to wear a hoodie for winter. Oh, yeah. Oh, and you can just wear a long... Now. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been like mid to high 30s throughout most... Bundle I just... Uh, on our little break between segments, I hopped onto the fire escape to just get into the cold. You know how some people like take a cold shower to wake themselves up? Yeah. I just stick my head out into the cold air. <laughs> that's that's raw. You know what I mean? That's a... Uh, I'm a raw type of guy. Yeah. Do you have exactly a big winter shit. coat? Uh, I do not have a big winter coat. I have Ooh. a big winter coat, but I'm going to sell it because it do, does not fit me. Okay. It's very large. Got to so come up on that coat. Montclair, yeah, Margella, what are we thinking for the new coat? If <laughs> if anyone in the tri-state area listening to this podcast would like to either buy a Gore-Tex very large Ooh. black uh, jacket from me or trade it for something that would be more my style... <laughs> uh, hit me up fashion swap i think this is becoming <laughs> yeah. i think me and eddie are getting into fashion now i think we're finally it's kind malcolm of bought his fourth shirt <laughs> and i'm finally buying a jacket <laughs> i think we're like fashion guys now i think i, I could buy it <laughs> so other than your uh journeys through apparel have you uh seen any movies lately yeah well you know 
Halloween, Halloween night, uh, you know, weekday, I, I didn't, I didn't really have any plans, you know, there, um, so I went to go, I was like, there's probably a horror movie playing, you know, in theaters. It's gotta be. And, um, you know, an older one, you know, not even like some Jason Blum fucking bullshit. Um, but, uh, <laughs> fucking, you don't want to have to write another a- yeah. angry letter. <laughs> um, some Blum nonsense, but, uh, and I saw, of course, Halloween is playing, but I've seen Halloween before. I think I saw halloween on halloween like five years ago and that was the first time i saw it and i saw there were uh, one theater they stood out they're playing halloween 2 and i was like I had, i'd never seen halloween 2 before and it was in a pasadena you know the michael myers's home itself you know what i mean and so i i moseyed on down to to pasadena like mike myers would and i, I saw halloween 2 and it's you know what it's fine like it's not it's yeah I, yeah i wouldn't say it's uh um great obviously but i wouldn't say it's bad either it does kind of uh it is it is i kind of do like the the start because it, it um for those who don't know it does pick up exactly where the last one the first one la- left off and michael myers is on the loose after he killed a bunch of teenagers and the doc is trying to find him and then jamie lee curtis is in this hospital Myers goes to the hospital, you know, it all coalesces there. And so there's a lot of hospital stuff in like the second half of the movie, I would say. And then kind of like the beginning where like Myers is kind of like roaming around post aftermath of, uh, you know, the, the climax of the first movie. And kind of we just get like the classic Myers POV shots as he's traversing through the Pasadena suburbs and kind of just like that. I don't know, like there's scenes where you kind of just like he's going into like a, a person's house just to steal a knife, you know what I mean? So that he mm-hmm. could use it somewhere else. And, you know, we, we get into, you know, these like late seventies, eighties environments. And like, I don't know, like the cinematography, you know, is, has the, the signature steady camness to it. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of just like a cool, interesting, almost like a Michael Myers video game style vibe yeah. as you go around and uh, do some tasks. And, yeah, no, Michael Myers' video game is totally apt because I think Halloween 2 is a very fun movie that totally simulates the form of the first one through Dean Coonedy's cinematography, but is, like, totally empty, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. it just doesn't have the, the oomph and the depth and the thematic stuff that makes the first Halloween one of the great movies, but it's still sick. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And, I mean, especially, I haven't, again, this is said without having delved too deeply into the further Halloweens outside of three, which obviously doesn't have Myers and the Rob Zombie two. I I gotta say, it seems like Halloween two, probably one of the better Halloween sequels. I like it. Yeah. I I like it quite a bit. I, uh, I would say I like it better than four for sure, but I, I definitely prefer season of the witch, uh, but that also yeah, doesn't get, have Michael Myers. Yeah, not, we're talking about our buddy Mike here. All right, mm-hmm. all right. Well, I haven't seen uh, any of any of the others besides three, and I, I feel like I don't have a lot of horror series knowledge. Like I haven't seen any of the Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, I've seen the Elm Streets. I've seen the Elm Streets. Those are okay. I I have not seen the Friday the Thirteenth other than the first one, um, and I've seen. I think all but one of the Elm Streets or just all... No, I've seen all of the Elm Streets other than uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. Uh, because I haven't seen the Jasons. I, I actually just finished those this past October. Uh, but, you know, like, 
they're fine. It's uh, toward the end. They're fine. I think they're really good. And then they're just fine. I guess uh, the Freddy movies that is like Freddy's dead is whatever. Yeah. But, uh, new nightmare fucking rules as we discussed in the pod, but even like three and four are both fucking classic. Like three is three as is- good as any horror movie from the last five years. Two and three are better than the first one. I feel like I me. disagree. Yeah, I love the first one. I love the first one, too. I think the first one is, like, I recently rewatched the first one, and it's such a well-oiled machined, uh, well-oiled machined. It's such a well-oiled machine, uh, and I I just feel like Craven's presence is so clearly felt on it that, I don't know, the other ones feel like they stumble into the thematic stuff where uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street feels so much more intentional because of the other stuff that Wes Craven has done. Uh, like, it just makes sense within the perspective of his whole career and his thoughts about kind of conservative American suburbia and uh, the, the hauntings that can affect it, uh, even if they are in your nightmares. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair point. I, I guess... Um... Yeah, I mean the gay, the gay, gay Freddy. You know what I mean? How could he not? Oh, love? gay Freddy. Yeah. Well, it's not really gay Freddy, yeah. but yeah, it's gay guy who's haunted. It's by the Freddy. gay movie that Freddy is in. Yeah, and yeah then exactly. The, the but you're trying to sell boxes, like uh, you know your Chow Yun Fat thing earlier. It's like yeah, you put you put <laughs> Freddy doing a gay, <laughs> gay Freddy. Yeah, you just call the movie Gay Freddy and people buy it. Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Gay <laughs> Freddy. <laughs> That would move so many more units. Oh it's crazy. My God. Have you heard about that screenwriter just denying the gay subtext of that movie? Yeah. It's like, no, dude, what are you talking about? Dude. dude. He's just uh, deeply Some of those closeted. 80s horror guys are, yeah, either deeply closeted <laughs> or deeply reactionary. Like, yeah. I wrote Fred Decker, the guy who did Monster Squad and... Uh, night of the creeps uh but i saw him do a q a for it and he just like unprovoked went on this tangent about how you know uh, you know camp it always gets associated with gay and i hate that you know camp used to just be about fun horror movies (laughs) (laughs) it's like dude what are you so nobody is talking about the gay stuff like nobody mentioned any gay stuff at all in the q a yeah that's maybe that's that's why he hasn't made a movie in 20 years (laughs) Because they keep call- he keeps bringing ideas everyone likes, and they're like, "Wow, that's kind of like influenced." But he's like, "I'm not gay. Stop yeah, it." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he, I think he wrote Predator Three, and that's like his only other stuff other than like Night of the Creeps and uh, Monster Squad. Yeah, I, you know, shame on him. Yeah, shame on him indeed. I want to make a remake of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Oh, you know, actually, Mr. Decker, that would be really good. That film's had a big cult revitalization due to its gay themes. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm remaking it to make it straight. To wrong its- I'm fixing it. <laughs> Fixed version. <laughs> JT, you watch anything this week? Um, not particularly this. I mean, I just rewatched uh, Jack and Jill, but mm. there's a beautiful podcast episode we did about it with uh, Bobby Franco. Of course, that, that one's a classic. So I'm not gonna. I and that movie. The last thing I'll say about Jack and Jill, that movie, just each time, and like so many Sandler movies, like get warmer and warmer on mm, uh, repeat yeah. viewings. But I'm going to return a little bit to uh, the um, 
don't know, sort of festival roundup. There's a, a big, big, fat, juicy movie, uh, like a uh, a pie cooling on a, it, tantalizing the movie going public. It was the most crowded movie I saw at the festival. Um, Mr. Philadelphia himself, Bradley Cooper's new film Maestro. And again, I was like, oh, it's fine uh, yeah. about it, but I don't know. I think it's. Uh, to expand upon my thoughts of uh, last, uh, not last week, whenever, uh, I, into why it's just fine. I think uh, Libatique's uh, cinematography obviously is sensational. At some points, it's like a little bit like, I don't know, showy. I feel like in kind of an annoying way, like the... I don't know, check out this extreme long take, like kind of like flashiness to it um, that, uh, I don't know, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. There are parts that I like. I Cooper's performance in general, I think is fun. I mean, I the Bernstein character is someone I relate to a lot because he likes to party uh, <laughs> and uh, have, a, have a good time. And uh, he's torn uh, between like very private like artistic creation and like just work like that and then just loving being around people and just being like making work and then also being like a performance himself and i think that aspect of the movie is interesting but again i don't think it's explored to the fullest extent it's like heavily about uh his relationship uh with his wife uh portrayed by carrie mulligan and there is, I don't know, kind of a centering of Mulligan's perspective that I like understand why Cooper did that because it's just like, okay, behind like this uh, powerful, like just, I don't know, artistic genius, uh, there is uh, a woman in her own right who like has great artistic ability, great actress um, that sort of gets left by the wayside like for a variety of reasons, obviously like the gay relationships that he was having, I guess it's what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's, I don't know, just going off of the movie, like sort of in secret, sort of her like being complicit in it and like allowing it to happen. And I don't know, there's some really fun, or I mean, not fun, but like there are moments in the movie that really work. And there's a very great scene where uh, uh, Maya Hawks is playing his daughter and uh, she has just uh, come back uh, from college. And uh, Carrie Mulligan is like, look, like there are rumors about you that your uh, daughter was like talking to me about um, like you should like you you should probably talk to her about that um and there's just like a really sad scene where he like just goes sits outside with her um and he's like yeah no people are jealous like people are jealous there've always been haters like they're jealous just let them let them talk um and she's like oh thank god like that's good and there's just like the way he's able to focus on performance um throughout the movie at various points like when you she says like it's fine and it's good we linger on cooper a lot and like it's not it's not really overselling it to me and it's like a very beautiful moment where you're seeing like a character experience a lot of deep inner turmoil and that happens throughout the film with various 
uh, characters and those moments are strong uh, and affecting to me. But um, yeah, other than that, it's very messy. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I know people will really hate it too. Like nice. Bernstein heads, like it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's not enough of the work too, but it's very, I th- it's hard to make a movie about an artist, I think, because a lot of it, like, making art is very boring mm. like it's how do you make that exciting and also how do you show a person get like inspired like how do you show what they're drawing from from their great work i think it's very challenging to make a movie about an immense artist that like does them justice i think i can uh, point you to one i think it came out about a year ago it's called the fable mans oh, yes. <laughs> it's called <Yes>. marlo <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> what? Yeah. No, that doesn't yeah. make that doesn't really make you know well, the artistry be the, on the art of being Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. the art of detectiveness. You know, detectivery. Simply existing is an art if you yeah. are Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Um, just circling back to the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, since I did rewatch and watch those like I do every year, I just wanted to say, yeah, like. I, I think that the first one is the most complete movie with the best like intentionality uh, behind it in terms of the combination of script and execution. But as they go, of course, like what they become becomes much more comfortable and rewatchable. Like two and three, like you said, Malcolm, you said they were better. And on instinct, I was like, no, they're not. But something like three i think is much more rewatchable than any of them Mm -hmm. uh as opposed to halloween well halloween i also really love three but i watched the first one the most uh nightmare three is really a special movie of the dream warriors that is in terms of the outlandish set design like taking yet another step up after the first one where every kill has some sort of insanely imaginative uh design to it uh whether it's the you know the puppet string one that that is just the best the marionette kill in the third third one but uh yeah just shout out to freddy you know we're putting you to bed it's november 2nd november 3rd by the time this comes out i'll see you next year uh, but I just I just wanted to say one last goodbye to my old friend Freddy Krueger. Yeah, He'll be in our dreams. He's, he's oh, a- I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's gonna do it for extended clip this week for the main feed. Next episode will be the Patreon feed. So you can always go to Patreon.com/slash/extended underscore clip. Uh, the link will also be in the episode description. It's like anywhere you find us online, you're going to find that link. You're going to sign up for $5 a month. You're going to get a bonus episode every single week. This coming week, Tuesday's bonus or Monday's bonus, whichever day it ends up coming out, will be on The Departed. I was in Boston uh, one year ago. Uh, I was I was just about to come back to L.A. And I was like, you know... I had a great time here. I can't wait to go home and someday watch the town and watch The Departed again and think about my great times in Boston. So that's what I'm going to do on the one-year anniversary of coming back home from, from Massachusetts and becoming a masshole for a month uh, is Martin Scorsese's best movie. Just kidding. But uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about which ones it is better than. Uh, that'll be a subject of debate. Who's high, um, who's not. <laughs> <laughs>
That's what we're yeah. talking about. Who's on the hot yeah. seat? Marty, you're on the hot <laughs> seat. <laughs> all right, that's all. Uh, goodbye. Bye.